I have the privilege of preaching on this beautiful text on Advent, fourth Sunday of Advent, the day before Christmas Eve, a real special honor. Uh, So I am excited to preach this text because it is a text of comfort, comfort my people. This is what the Lord proclaims to Israel and to us. But those who need comfort are those who are afflicted, yes? So what is our affliction? Pray with me. Pray with me that the Lord would be upon us, that the the Spirit would be speaking a word to you and opening your ears, but opening your eyes to see, to see this good news this morning. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, send your Spirit. Send your Spirit upon us, the great comforter, so that we may be comforted, so that we may have eyes to see, so that we may not miss your good news. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few weeks ago, uh, I was at work and my phone, I, I had it on silent. And so in between meetings, I flip it over and I see I have seven missed calls from an unknown number and a little short text that says, call back, locked out, water boiling. <laughs> I should have clued in immediately what this meant, but in my confusion, I didn't. And I just, I was like, well, seven missed calls, call that back. So I call back and on the other line is my wife. And she says, the first thing she says is, I need you to come home right now. And I was, I was still sort of like, Sarah, is that, is that you? You know, and so she proceeds to tell this quick story about how she and my boys, two and four, are playing, and my oldest, in a joke, pulls the front door shut, and all of a sudden, they're locked out of the house, no shoes, no jackets, uh, and so luckily, there was some, you know, muddy boots in the back, and they got their shoes on, and they proceeded down the street knocking on doors. This is the middle of the day on a Tuesday, and she's knocking on doors. She said she got five houses down across the street, and finally, an older retired woman named Mary, how appropriate, (laughs) opened the door and gave them refuge. So she tells me this, she's telling me this story, and I'm listening, and I'm catching up and my heart is beating. I am getting scared. I'm nervous for my family. And once she's done, I said, I'm leaving. Walked out, got in my car. I live in Everett. So jumped in the car, drove the 30 minutes home. You know, and it's, the the thing is, is that on that stretch of I-5, I'm pretty sure when they were setting the speed limit, they weren't thinking about a father and husband who needed to get home to go be with his family. And I helped them realize that that speed limit needs to be higher. <laughs> See, the, the interesting thing is that, like, I could logic it out, right? I could, I could, like, rationalize it. My family was okay. They were, my wife was calling from a neighbor's phone. I could hear my boys in the background. They were laughing. They were okay, but all that was in me needed to get home so I could comfort them, comfort them for the few hours that they wandered the neighborhood, strangers, 
and unsure what was coming next. This is our main idea this morning. The fulfillment and belonging you have been seeking is seen in the good news. It is God's comfort for the afflicted. That's how our passage in Isaiah 40 starts today. Comfort, comfort my people. God tells the prophet Isaiah to go make that proclamation to his people. What people? God's people, Israel. The ones God chose to be his representatives of grace and peace to the world. These are the ones that God held nothing back from. Provision, blessing, protection, opportunity. They literally lacked nothing, not even God's presence. So why do they need comfort? Because in Isaiah 40, they are no longer free people in their own land. They are now slaves in Babylon. In 586 BC, the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and brought all the Israelites to Babylon as slaves and foreigners. Took them out of, uh, took them out of Israel, the promised land, and brought them to Babylon. Israel had turned away from worshiping and serving God alone, so God released them to their heart's desire. This is exactly what Moses warned them about and told them what would happen if they ever stopped worshiping God alone. So in Deuteronomy 28, right before they go into the promised land, Moses gives this impassioned sermon, essentially, And he warns them and tells them this. If you don't obey the Lord your God, all these curses will come upon you and find you. The Lord will hand you over defeated to your enemies. Your plans won't prosper. Instead, you will be constantly oppressed and taken advantage of without any Savior. Without any Savior. Unfortunately, this is the fate Israel chose. By turning to worship other gods, they turned into their own captivity, slaves to their captors without any hope for a savior. God, though, God did not forget his love for his people. He would seek them out in this foreign land, pursue them. He would run after them to show them That despite their willingness to cheat on the true God with idols and false gods, he would, like a forgiving lover, give them mercy and restore them. He would comfort them with good news, great news, that he will, in fact, send them a savior. This is because The fulfillment and belonging that Israel was really seeking could only be seen in the good news. God knew that, so he sought to comfort them, his afflicted people. Good news. Do you ever have a hard time recognizing good news? I know that's somewhat of a loaded question in our internet age, in a time where we, ha- we are bombarded with information all day long, and we have to filter through it to see something that is, 
that we could actually believe, let alone that's something that is actually good. The thing about good news, though, is that it's always been hard to recognize. It's not a problem of this age. It's always been that way. Even though good news is proclaimed, like Isaiah proclaimed comfort, not all people will receive good news as good. As the Gospels say it, good news can really only be seen by those who have the eyes to see. It's kind of like a situation I had two years ago. On this very day, December 23rd, my previous lead pastor sat me down and he said, I'm feeling called away to another church and I'll be leaving in February. He should have just ended that whole, that whole statement with Merry Christmas and just really stuck the dagger in my heart. Because the, the thing was, we were leading through a really difficult time at that church And it was arguably at its pinnacle in December. And now he's telling me, I'm leaving. So the challenge of that for me was that all the weight would fall upon me in that moment. And through the winter and spring of 2017, that pressure would overcome me. I felt crushed. And without any internal resources or reservoir to lead from. And so since I didn't know how to lead well, I just led raw and broken. Desperately clinging to the Spirit's provision day to day. And strangely enough, because of this, the summer and fall of 2017 were the most fruitful, was the most fruitful season I had in that ministry at that church. All this through brokenness. It was then that I was finally able to see my pastor's departure as good news. Because if he had not departed, I don't think I would have been broken under the weight. And if I had not have been broken, I don't think I would have humbled myself seeking God's forgiveness and help. When God showed up and ministered through my brokenness and saved me through humility, I was then able to see good news differently than I'd ever seen it before, and I wonder if I saw it for the first time. For me, that that season was summed up in Psalm 51.8. Let the bones you have crushed Rejoice. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. So who have the eyes to recognize good news when it's proclaimed? Jesus says in Luke 4, it's the poor, the brokenhearted, the prisoner, and the mourner. He also says in Matthew 5, it's the hopeless, the humble, the hungry, and the thirsty, the merciful, the peacemaker, and the oppressed. You see, the good news has been proclaimed to everyone, but it seems only those who have been broken and humble will recognize and receive the coming of Jesus Christ as good news. You see, it's sort of like Luna Lovegood being able to see Thestrals. You didn't see that coming, did you? 
See, Luna Lovegood, she's this quirky character in Harry Potter, and a lot of people dismiss her because she's so different. But in the movie Order of the Phoenix, Harry finds her in the woods with these skeleton horse creatures called Thestrals. Harry's confused while they're able to see these creatures, but the friends cannot. Who knows what she said? Oh, I got, they got hands. Say it, say it out. Yes. <laughs> Micah, my sound guy, he said it. <laughs> Thank you, Micah. She says this. They can only be seen by people who have seen death. Death, brokenness, humility, being present to these realities, suffering them, as Christians of old might say, is what we need to do to be able to recognize the good news when it is proclaimed. Today's text poetically speaks to this dynamic of seeing through suffering. Verses 3 through 5 is the seeing part. This is the, this is the text that's famously quoted by John the Baptist about Jesus. It essentially says that anything that blocks people from being able to witness the good news, it's going to be augmented. Mountains are going to be lowered. Valleys are going to be brought up. Rough places are going to be made smooth. All this so that God's salvation will be seen by all humanity altogether. Romans 1 and 10 both speak to this dynamic that all have witnessed the salvation of God, both through creation itself, but also from the many prophets that God has been sending us and sending us. So all have witnessed salvation and are without excuse. But then in verses 6 through 8, this is, this is the suffering part. It basically says that people are not like God's salvation. They are not enduring. They, we, we will fade. We will dry up. We will wither. We cannot save ourselves So like grass, we are fated to pass away. We must suffer this reality. But God's proclamation of salvation will endure forever. If we too want to endure, we must believe the proclamation. But we can only recognize it if we see it through our suffering. Seeing through suffering, if we are to have any hope to receive the true comfort of God, we must cast our broken, withering selves onto God, who desires to give us the greatest gift we can receive this Christmas season. I suspect this is not shaping up to be the Christmas message you were hoping to hear talking about death and brokenness and withering and fading. Whisper to your neighbor, he hates Christmas. Where's the peace on earth? Where's the joy to the world? Why aren't we harking and heralding and talking about sweet little baby Jesus? I know, I know, I hear that. I do, I hear that. This is supposed to be the season of happiness. In truth, that seems to be the brand of the season. 
constant happiness. But I tell you, that narrative, that's a dead giveaway to detecting cultural Christmas. When I'm parked on I-5 waiting to get downtown, the billboards tell me, be happy. And while I'm waiting in line to buy things for my kids that are supposed to make them happy, the music in the store says, be happy. And while I'm shopping at night on Amazon and I'm trying to make the purchase as fast as possible so somebody else doesn't buy it and it gets auto-removed from my cart and i got to start all over, the sidebar says, be happy. Everything is telling me to just be happy. And if I'm unhappy, there is something I can do about it and even something that I should do about it to avoid any amount of suffering Just make myself happy. It's like it's some social contract that we should be happy at all costs, whatever it costs, so our unhappiness doesn't spill over and cause another to share with us their anxiety, their depression, their SAD, or loneliness that this season could possibly bring. We don't do so well sitting with each other's pain. It's uncomfortable and sad, and those are not things we like to share together. Our culture, it tells us to be strong, to not share our pain, our hurts, our anxiety, our addictions, all that we struggle with. Keep them private. Don't show your weakness. Instead, buy something to dull the pain. And cover it up. Surely Amazon sells something that you like. Of course, this is not what we mean when we say Merry Christmas. But it's hard to escape the woo of cultural Christmas. I I feel like we're caught on two sides of a line. And we're trying to reconcile the cultural Christmas expectations with with what Scripture says about the coming of Christ. And the truth is, they're, they're just at odds. Where the culture says, make yourself happy. Scripture says, blessed are those who mourn, because they will be comforted. See, the culture wants you to shove down who you are and just buy a new you recast in materialism so that you'll be a fitter, happier, more productive person. Whereas in Scripture, do you know what the people did who believed that the Savior was coming? They repented. They mourned for their sins. They didn't comfort themselves with stuff. They mourned to God for their sins, and it was God who comforted them. They no longer needed to look for the Savior because their mourning had revealed salvation to them. The good news was true. And the good news was arriving soon in the flesh. It had to be the flesh. It's always in the flesh. The fulfillment and belonging we have been looking for is seen, is seen in the flesh, in the good news. 
It's how God has chosen to comfort the afflicted. In the same way, God sent Isaiah into Babylon to speak tenderly to God's people, bringing them comfort and good news, so also God sent Jesus in the flesh so we can see the good news. Mountains brought low, valleys brought up, so that we will be seeing the Savior together. This is incredible, beautiful, wonderful news. It is the good news. But are you with me that it just doesn't exactly make sense? Why would God in Jesus come in the flesh to do what God could do otherwise? Could not have God reached out his arm and saved his people, restored all humanity, but all things back to rights? He surely is able. Why send his only son, Jesus, to come in the flesh? This is the great mystery of Christmas. It has never been done before, and it will never be done again. Of all religions, there is not another whose God comes down in all humility to be humiliated in the flesh for the salvation of his people. It is Jesus and Jesus alone who is Emmanuel, God with us, and is the only name under heaven and earth that we can be saved. This is the great mystery of Christmas. We gather in worship to uphold the truth of this mystery not to explain it away. Receive it in faith. But perhaps Philippians 2 can give us a little bit of insight into this great mystery. It says, Though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and be, by becoming like human beings. When he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly honored him and gave him a name above all names, so that at the name of Jesus, everyone in heaven on earth and under the earth might bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbled himself, lowering himself even lower than humans by becoming the slave of all and suffering the human experience. Jesus knows personally our weaknesses and our sufferings because... He lived them and struggled through him himself. Jesus, the suffering God, understands what you've suffered because in the flesh, he suffered similarly. He knows you intimately. So let's drop this main idea in one more time. 
the fulfillment and belonging that you have been looking for is seen in the good news. It is God's comfort for the afflicted. Is this not exactly what we've been hoping for? True fulfillment? We hope that some person, some place, some product will fulfill us, will understand us, will make us whole. We long to be understood and belong, to stop feigning happiness and just be known without the judgments for all our scars. Do you know what Jesus says? Jesus says, yes, come, show me your scars and I will show you salvation. This is the good news. God has sent us a savior Even though we have turned from God to worship idols and been wooed to a false happiness and a consumeristic cultural Christmas, God has not left us alone. God has sent us a Savior and a Savior that shares in our sufferings. And if this Savior suffered to save us, how much more will we be saved through our sin and sufferings, do you, can you acknowledge your need for a Savior this morning? If you do, you will be able to recognize and receive the good news that is before you today. Are you mourning death and loss in your life of a loved one or even a death in yourself? Are you poor financially or spiritually? Are you oppressed or crushed by a system or this society? Are you enslaved to projecting a certain kind of image, enslaved to money, enslaved to addictions? Have you been abandoned by people? Are you alone? Or are you seeking, seeking something to fill you with your whole being but have found nothing? If this is you this morning, then I am excited to share with you the good news. I feel like, I feel like Isaiah sent into Babylon speaking comfort and perhaps God has sent me as a pastor to you to speak the comfort and the good news to you this morning, if this is you and you've been seeking something to fulfill you, where you belong, where you can have hope, then this morning I tell you your search is over for now arriving, now arriving is Jesus Christ, the comforter, the only one that can fulfill us and bring us any semblance of hope Do you have need this morning? Don't be squeamish. Do you have needs this morning? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Then confess and receive for this morning. Your sin is not a liability. It's an opportunity through which God can truly fulfill you. In the same way that medicine gets to the heart quicker by a shot in the veins 
so also Jesus Christ in the Holy Spirit will get to your heart faster, will transform it, will remove it and give you a heart of flesh through your sin and your suffering. It's not despite it. Do you have need this morning? Do you believe? If so, confess and receive all of us from those who have received Jesus multiple times to those who may this morning be receiving him for the first time. Amen. Hallelujah. Let us all receive Jesus Christ, the comforter, the fulfillment into our hearts, in and through our sufferings. This is how our chapter concludes. Go to a high mountain, messenger Zion. Raise your voice and shout, messenger Jerusalem. Raise it, don't be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Here is the Lord God coming with strength, with a triumphant arm, bringing his reward with him and his payment before him. Like a shepherd, God will tend the flock, you. He will gather his lambs in his arms, you. And lift them onto his lap. He will gently guide the nursing ewes. If you have need, if you believe and you can confess, then you can receive this good news this morning that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, whom we have been waiting for, has now arrived and in fact has never left you. Receive his comfort and be truly fulfilled. This morning, as a simple response, I'm going to pray. And if you are receiving Jesus Christ, again, for the hundredth time or the first time, put your, put your hand over your heart as we pray. This is something I do with my boys. God can hear you in here. So let's speak to him from here. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you never stop longing to comfort us. You never stop pursuing us. You throw off anything that hinders to run us down, not to condemn us, but to comfort us, to tell us the good news that we have been forgiven, that you are not our enemy, but our lover. Lord, receive any who are open this morning. Confer unto them the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, so that they may know and they may see your glory, your love, and your comfort. Lord, through your Son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us that we may be saved, do this. Do this for us that you love. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.